The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the keynote by CNBC Events. I'm Tyler Matheson. On this podcast, we bring you in-depth, candid conversations with CEOs, entrepreneurs, and thought leaders recorded at CNBC's live events. Today, a conversation with Erica James, dean of the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. She's the first woman and the first person of color to hold that position in the institution's 139-year history. Dean James is trained as an organizational psychologist and is a leading expert on crisis leadership, workplace diversity, and management strategy. She spoke with my colleague Julia Borston at CNBC's Workforce Executive Council Summit, an event geared toward senior HR officers on November 12, 2020. Here's their conversation. I want to start off talking about the news, the news in that you've been recently appointed to your role. This is your first year running the Wharton School and also the news of having um, the election of Kamala Harris as vice president of the United States. Of course, she's the first woman uh, and person of color to be elected to that role. And I'm wondering if you could start our conversation by reflecting a little bit on the importance of representation and how your leadership, her leadership, having more women and women of color in those roles could help to start at least to change the conversation about leadership and diversity in America. Well, thank you, Julia, for inviting me to be here today. It's, it's uh, wonderful to be able to talk about this issue on such an auspicious occasion. You know, this weekend I was with my 16-year-old daughter and we were watching the election results come in and, and when the election was called for the Biden-Harris ticket. And it was just a profound moment for me to see this young girl uh, both have a mother in this year assume a position that was described as historic, being the first uh, black woman to lead the Wharton School, and then also to see in our country's history, the first woman, an African-American and Indian American, to also take the helm of our vice presidency. So it really, I think, speaks to a an opportunity, as, as Vice President-elect Harris said uh, in her speech this weekend, for the world and for young people all over the country and around the world to see themselves in positions of leadership, which um, hasn't always been the case. But I think now with the visibility of, of her um, ascension to the vice presidency, we will likely have an opportunity to see so many more of this. And I look forward to the day when this no longer makes the news, quite frankly. Certainly, of course. And just so interesting, you know, thinking about all those generations of women who now have different varieties of role models to look up to, including, of course, yourself. Now, to the topic of diversity and inclusion in the workplace, there are so many studies that show that diverse organizations simply perform better. And yet... All of these companies that are financially motivated have not made meaningful change around diversity, particularly in the management ranks. Tell me what you see as that disconnect there. Well, in large part, I think just like anything else that gets measured and gets prioritized, diversity is something that has to be measured and, and prioritized as well. 
otherwise, there are so many other influences and considerations that come into the minds of executives that their attention is distracted. And unless there is a, a concerted effort and a sustained effort to be mindful around uh, diversity practices, around how to attract and yield and retain uh, diverse talent, we're always going to be in this cycle of trying to add more and then we're not doing what's necessary to keep that talent. And so then we go back to adding more. And it's not only an expensive process, it's also, it's just not an efficient one. And to your point about the research, companies aren't able to really leverage the value that comes from having the diversity, the diversity of perspectives and experiences. Yeah, I mean, I just, as, as someone who's been reporting on this research, it's so overwhelming in favor of having diverse workforces and the idea that this isn't just a good thing for employees, it's absolutely better for companies' bottom lines. Um, for companies who want to pursue that, for companies are, who are thinking about how to change the representation in their ranks, what is your advice when it comes to to recruiting and also to promotion and retention, because it seems like those three things really shouldn't be separated. No, I don't believe they should be separated. And so often when we use the phrase uh, DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion, there's so much attention on the diversity, the representation piece. And so companies, I think, for a long period of time have actually tried to um, enhance the representation of diverse talent in their organizations through their different recruiting mechanisms and whatnot. But where I think we miss uh, the opportunity is really on what are we doing around the equality and the inclusion aspects. So how are we creating uh, systems and practices and norms and cultures that allow for people in the organization to feel as if they are actually included, that they're respected, that they're valued, that they have the same opportunities as others. And until we get that part right, it's very difficult to really capitalize on all that comes from the diversity, equity, and inclusion objectives. And I want to hear your thoughts on how companies can get that right and can try to get that right. And I thought a good way to get to that is to hear what you're doing at Wharton. Such an uh, storied institution, such an um, impactful institution in terms of the way you are training the next generation of leaders. How do you think about it internally, and then I'll, I'll sort of turn and pivot and see how you would apply that to companies. So one of the things that has been very critical to my leadership at Wharton and elsewhere is to actually leverage the fact that I am a Black woman, that I have um, personal experiences around diversity, but I also, as a scholar in this field, have had professional uh, research that I can bring to bear in conversations. And it's been important for me, and I think obviously important for every leader, to create a, an environment and a culture where people are actually ta comfortable talking about differences and um, making sure that we can have candid conversations without being fearful and making sure that we can have candid conversations without feeling um, offended uh, by people really trying to learn and engage and enhance themselves personally and therefore enhancing the organization. So I think setting the culture around normalcy, talking about diversity, is one strategy that I've been trying to do both at Wharton and elsewhere. Um, more, more tactically, uh, we have to ensure that th those who are in positions to um, make key decisions around diversity hiring and promotion and compensation uh, are 
empowered to be able to make those decisions, that they are looking at the data, that they're looking at what their needs are, and that they're intentionally focused on finding diverse talent and um, creating opportunities for that diverse talent to be successful. So it's both creating the culture and it's putting in place practical measures around recruiting and promotion um, to ultimately bring the kind of diversity that we're looking for. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. When companies have reported on their own lack of diversity, oftentimes they cite a pipeline problem. And I'm wondering how you would address that and direct those companies to make changes both for short-term and for long-term gains. So the big issue with the pipeline is making sure that there is a, we're opening the range of places we are going to look for talent. So one of the things that is often the case in um, organizations is that you have a narrow pool of, of universities that you will call your, your core universities that companies recruit from. And if those core universities themselves are not providing diverse talent, then you're not likely to get diverse talent by going back to those same company, or same universities year over year. And the same is true with whatever our, our pool of our source of talent is. We have to make sure that that source is in fact diverse. And sometimes that means that we have to increase or enhance or expand the sources by which we look for talent. And what about unconscious bias? I know that's something that you and Wharton are doing some research on in terms of how it impacts corporate hiring. So yes, there is ample research coming out of the Wharton School, but so many places that essentially says we all have biases and we all have unconscious biases. Uh, and even once we are made aware of those biases, the, the research that's coming out of the Wharton School will tell you that we still fall susceptible to the same decision mistakes or decision oversights and continue to find more homogeneous um, talent in the organization, even though we are fundamentally aware that we have biases. So there's more work, uh, obviously, both from the, the research standpoint, but also in terms of um, the translation of that research into practical behavioral changes uh, that can take place so that we are getting in the practice of doing things differently and that we are holding ourselves accountable and having other people hold us accountable for those kinds of behaviors that will in fact create um, more exposure to diverse sources of talent. Uh, it seems it's the potential for some of these changes to have a sort of cascading effect is really powerful. Uh, I know that you have a program designed to introduce underrepresented minorities to careers as professors. How, how does that work and how do you see that having a bigger impact? Yeah, so that's a program called IDEAS. And one of the motivations for the IDEAS program is we need to demonstrate that there can be diversity in the classroom for, for business students 
before we can expect more diverse students to come to business school. So ensuring that there are diverse faculty at the Wharton School and elsewhere is, is a big part of the, the work that we're trying to do. Faculty come through a very traditional academic background, which means you earn a PhD. And if we don't have enough diverse students earning a PhD, then we're not gonna have enough faculty, diverse faculty talent. So the IDEAS program was, was born to create exposure to students in college um, so that they understand what it means to have an academic career. What's the trajectory? What's the path that one has to pursue? And what are the opportunities associated with being in higher education at the highest level, particularly in business education? And so that program started at the Wharton School. It now exists at a number of other uh, business schools around the country. And we are slowly making progress uh, towards increasing people's visibility uh, young people, young diverse people, to what it means to have a career in business. I'll, I'll say that's at the PhD, you, if I could just add yes, also. But, but looking at that and its impact at the PhD level, how do you think companies could apply a similar approach to grow their own ranks and focus on visibility there? So again, uh, I think it's, it's the same process. It's understanding at what point in the pipeline do things start to fall off the track. Just like we've seen with so many companies focused on creating STEM uh, initiatives to entice more young people to go into science, technology, math, and engineering, um, the same kind of focused attention and resources from organizations can also be applied to helping uh, raise the awareness of careers in business and careers in finance and careers in marketing. It's it's not as well known or it's not obvious what a business career can do. And so I think unless students are coming from families that have um, parents who are in business, it's hard to really know what, what a business education can get you. So companies can play a really active role in going into high schools, um, describing the kinds of career opportunities that are available, and again, describing the pathway that it takes to pursue one's education to ultimately uh, have a career in business. It has to be a partnership between um, America and, and um, high schools and colleges. It, it seems like it has to be a partnership across so many different pieces um, of this ecosystem, um, which raises a question about the role of boards. I know you um, serve on the board of SurveyMonkey, a public company. There's been an increasing focus on the importance of diversity of boards. There was a law passed in California mandating gender diversity on boards. What do you see as the role of boards and what is the potential impact of having more diverse boards? So a board is the ultimate in the governing body that determines the trajectory um, and the areas of focus, if you will, for companies. They are not the decision makers. They don't get involved in the operations, but they do help set the parameters for senior executives and the CEO in particular. And so if that board is not diverse, it becomes much more challenging for senior leaders within an organization to feel as inspired or motivated um, to, to do the hard work, and it is hard work, around creating more opportunities for diversity coming into their organizations and allowing, um, creating cultures that will allow those, um, all people to be successful in those companies. So the, the board plays a fundamental role in helping shape the trajectory around diversity, but around so many other initiatives 
as well. And so if the board is diverse, chances are there will be a priority for senior leaders to also uh, identify ways for enhancing diversity within the, within the company. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. I think it's notable that you are an expert in crisis management. And many people would say that right now, America, corporate America is facing a number of crises, not just the coronavirus crisis, but also um, how to handle a very divided nation, as we saw with the results of this election. Um, and also a lot of concern around issues of Black Lives Matter and the fact that a lot of people are worried that the gains there will not continue their momentum. What would your advice be to senior leaders of corporations coming from your perspective as a crisis management expert in terms of what you think they need to do to create unity at a time when everyone's probably, for the most part, separate and still at home? Fundamentally, uh, our society is a social society. We thrive on relationships. We thrive on interaction. We thrive on engagement. And I think we are a stronger country when we have some modicum of unification towards something that we can all galvanize behind. So I think one of the things that we have to do as a society that, that um, our new leadership in the, in the country will have to focus on is largely how do we build and gain trust. And I think that disconnect that you're describing is largely a function of so much mistrust, whether it's between the right and the left or whether it's between blacks and whites or you name the, the groups. Um, fundamentally coming together and finding ways to demonstrate that there is trust in the system, trust in the leadership, trust in the work that we're trying to strive to do together. And so that has to be, in my opinion, a, a first step for any new leader, whether we're talking about a new leader of the, of the presidency or whether we're talking about leadership within corporate America. And um, Erica, in a final question, I'd love to get your big picture thoughts. You've reflected on so much that companies have tried to do to change up to this point and are trying to do right now. But looking five years down the road, what do you think corporate America can look like or should look like? And what are the steps that you hope companies will take to get there? And by the way, this is as you put many of your students who will be going into these corporations um, in positions to have influence as well. So thank you for, for bringing in the students. One of the things that is so inspiring to me as dean of a business school is in fact our students. And I believe that there is 
they represent a generation of people who have a very different set of expectations about the organizations that they're going to become a part of. Those students that we're seeing now are coming into business schools and then soon going into organizations with a very clear expectation about what they're looking for from their professional environments. And part of what they're looking for is are, are companies who have a set of values that they believe in, that they are inspired by, that um, reflect a diversity in, in their workforce, that have a, a mission and a purpose that is more than just uh, profitability. So I think what we're seeing is a movement among young people who will be the leaders of the future, who are already demonstrating leadership. And through what they care about, they're changing uh, how, how schools and how companies will need to engage if they want to attract that talent into their organization. So what should, what should companies look like in the future? I think they need to represent what our society looks like. And I think what we're starting to learn more and more, and there's much more very visible evidence, is that talent resides in all people. And it's our responsibility as leaders to expose and reduce the barriers that prohibit uh, talent from, from really shining through. And it sounds like you think that this younger generation is really going to put pressure on corporations to accelerate their rate of change? I think they already are. I think um, many of the more traditional firms that MBA students, for example, were flocking to 10 years ago are now competing for talent in ways that they didn't have to compete for because students are saying, you don't necessarily represent what I'm looking for in terms of how I want to spend my life, um, what values you have been demonstrating or what your your purpose and, and mission is. And so I'm choosing as an MBA student, for example, um, to start my own company. I'm choosing to go to, to a smaller startup. I'm choosing any number of uh, new alternatives that we're now seeing as opposed to the traditional uh, corporate entities that were so attractive to young people even a decade ago. That was Erica James, Dean of the Wharton School of Business at the University of Pennsylvania. She spoke with my colleague Julia Borston at CNBC's Workforce Executive Council Summit on November 12, 2020. The keynote is produced by the CNBC events team. For more information about upcoming CNBC events and how you can join us, visit CNBCEvents.com. I'm Tyler Matheson. Thanks for listening. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.